0: I remember, especially as a young teenager, but it seems to have continued on at this point in my life, that I don't really explore music on my own. I tend to be a lemming. Um, And as a young teenager, it meant that I was always interested in whatever my older brother and sister were listening to. So around the time when my brother first came back from college, they had entered a classic rock phase. seems like this phase has now lingered on for several decades in the wings of all of our lives. But we started then and there when my brother came back from college. We'd just been given a full surround sound stereo system in the early 90s, which gave a house full of teenagers the ability to truly rock out. So during this time, we found out that our great grandfather was very ill, likely close to death there in his mid-90s. My sister had a really close connection with him, so she was especially sad. And the way um, she expressed her grief was by cranking up the volume on our new stereo to the point where those giant speakers seemed like they were going to explode. And she played the unending but also appropriately themed song, In My Time of Dying by Led Zeppelin. Yes, that song. Dancing around the house with the drums and that incredible electric guitar and Robert Plant crooning, Oh My Jesus seemed truly to be the best way to grieve. Well, here in our gospel lesson for today, we do see that Jesus' time of dying has come. Earlier in chapter 12 of John's gospel, we saw that Jesus had entered into Jerusalem during his last Passover. That triumphal entry, which we will celebrate next weekend on Palm Sunday, had already occurred before this passage that we read tonight. Um, Jesus is in the last week of his life and everyone had been crying out wildly, hailing him as their long-awaited king. And in verse 19, just before our passage for today, the religious leaders commented glumly to each other, look, the whole world has gone after him. And then as if on cue, a few Greeks come up to ask about Jesus. They want to see Jesus, just almost to prove that indeed the whole world has gone after Jesus. And so at this point in his ministry, Jesus knows that his public presence is over. His earthly ministry has been fulfilled and the purpose for his coming to earth, the purpose for his being born as a little baby in Bethlehem is about to be fulfilled. Upon the approach of these Gentiles, Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And this saying of his doesn't make sense until we understand how this gospel writer uses a couple of the terms in that saying. He uses two terms technically. First, the hour in John's gospel consistently refers to the hour of Jesus' death, that hour that is so connected with his popularity with the people. We saw at the beginning of his ministry in Cana in chapter 2, Jesus tells his mother, No, go away, my hour has not yet come. And then he goes on to do an incredible miracle. But he means the hour of his public popularity and then his death. Um, Later, during another feast in Jerusalem, Jesus claims to be sent from God Almighty, and the religious authorities try to arrest him on the spot. But John tells us that no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Indeed, Jesus doesn't just slip out of their grasp in chapter 7, but he does it again in chapter 8 and in chapter 10. It's as though God himself is protecting Jesus from the final hour of his death until the right time has come, the kairos time. God is all about the timing. And that way, when Jesus' death comes, it's no accident. It's no mistake, it is within the sovereignty of God. God is still in control, even though His Son is there, crucified, dying on a cross. Well, second, in addition to the strange use of the hour to refer to the right timing of Jesus' death, John also understands this death of Jesus in light of glory and exaltation. Jesus said, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified the gospel writer understands jesus as having glory from above glory from heaven as he says at the beginning we have seen his glory glory as of an only son from the father john was present at the transfiguration when the veil of jesus's flesh was lifted The veil of heaven was torn for a moment, a brief moment, and those three chosen disciples of Jesus saw him in all of his heavenly glory with all of the light and the whiteness and the heavenly brightness, that majesty that belongs to him by right. But John understands the glory of God not simply in the beauty of holiness and majesty, but also in God's love. Poured out through Jesus' death on the cross. John understands and displays this paradox of God's glory that his majesty consists not just in his transcendence, but also in his imminence, not just in his farness, but also in his nearness, not just in his holiness and justice, but also in his compassionate mercy not just in his sovereign victory, but also in his seeming defeat on the cross, not just again in living and rising from the dead, but God is also there in the very moment of succumbing to the tortured and cursed death associated only with the worst criminals and sinners. Right after Judas leaves the upper room to prepare to betray him. Jesus says in chapter 13 of John, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And then later on in chapter 7, Jesus prays to the Father just before he'd be arrested, saying, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The lifting up or the exaltation of Jesus on the cross is seen as being his moment of glorification. I think I've said it before here, but I'm spatial. I'm not just special. Special? But I'm spatial. Spatial relationships affect me distinctly. I remember as a young girl begging my mother to let me take dance classes because of this very reason. I didn't realize that at the time but I saw it too when I was directing films or theater that the way, the, pl- the way you place people in space has meaning and importance. John knows this, and he's using this language of direction specifically in his gospel. In John's gospel, down is up, and the seemingly lowest moment is actually the highest moment in all of human history, the moment of death, bears with it the first glimmer of hope for new life. What is true in the realm of creation is true spiritually as well. Death brings life. As Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus alludes to this principle which is not just in nature, but also in um, the spiritual realm. He alludes to this truth not just as a way of understanding what was about to happen to himself, but he applies it also to all those of us who would follow him. We know this to be true, not just in our ultimate time of dying, but also in the little deaths all along the road of life that we happen to encounter. We see these little deaths um, because they're suffering that each one of us will undergo. Every one of us will undergo some measure of suffering in this life, whether because of illness, or addiction, or loneliness, or grief, or abuse, or any other fill-in-the-blank kind of suffering that a human being has undergone. Even sometimes I have to remind myself that low-grade suffering is still suffering low-grade suffering is still a kind of death, even if it's not as bad as someone else's suffering. Low-grade suffering is a kind of death. Um, Any suffering is death, because we find ourselves buried under painful circumstances that we cannot control. So we see this generally in suffering. We see these little deaths also as moral beings, when we somehow believe that we can make it on our own. I've got it, thanks God. Uh, When Robert Plant sang In My Time of Dying, he actually changed the lyrics from an old gospel song that he'd inherited. If you want to hear the good old gospel song, go Google um, Blind Willie Johnson. There you're going to get the real gospel truth. Robert Plant really um, took it into the 21st century, relativized it, made it about his own sense of well-being and righteousness, and he was going to make it. Um, On the other side, he tweaked the lyrics to fit his own understanding of the world. Plant starts out the song assuming that God will save him, that heaven and eternal life are his because he hasn't done wrong, or his wrong deeds were just mistakes that he'd made, or he never meant to do nobody harm, or that his good deeds then outweighed his bad deeds. He progresses in this kind of self-justification over the course of his lyrics to this song. But by the end, he tips his hat to the need for salvation, saying at the last, or uh, next to the last, oh Lord, deliver me. But I think he still didn't get it until he had a near fatal car crash. I would say his real life hat tip to his need for salvation just might have been in the fact that he um, didn't want to sing this song anymore after he'd almost died no longer invincible. Maybe he realized that he even indeed needed God. Well, life kills our pride, doesn't it? Our moral failures and the unrelenting demands of the law break through to us, burying any sense of our own self-sufficiency. But this death, this moral death, is the first step towards life. Finally, we see it generally, we see it morally, we see also this little death as we seek to walk out our life as a Christian. Because as Christians, we strive, don't we, to follow the example of Jesus Christ. And striving to follow in his footsteps usually requires self-denial and sacrifice. In the other Gospels, we hear Jesus proclaim to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is just plain, old, hard. This is not good news because it's too much for us. But there, it is good news. It's the beginning of the good news because it is too much for us. We hear that same difficulty when we hear him say in our passage from tonight, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Well, I don't know about you, but I really like my life in this world. I mean, there are some things I would fix if I were in control, but I don't really want to lose my life as it is now. But as a Christian, we are called to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And that is a death in and of itself. Um, So in that death for us, where is the life in these little deaths? All three of these. First, in the suffering, then in the judgment, we try to make it on our own, and third, on the other side of the cross, when we think that we can carry our own cross without relying on Jesus' cross. Well, there is hope for us as we experience this pain and this death, and we can take courage from what Martin Luther wrote. So simple and so true. It is the nature of God that he makes something out of nothing. Thus God accepts no one except the abandoned, makes no one healthy except the sick, gives no one sight except the blind, brings no one to life except the dead. As we're dead, as we have nothing to offer, there we can receive, ready to receive that life that comes from God alone. In our time of dying, we can die easy because our sure and certain hope in the midst of suffering comes from the words of Jesus that by his death on the cross, the ruler of this world, Satan, is judged and thrown out. All evil is condemned because of the evil done to Jesus. In our time of dying, we can die easy, not because we left some traces of good or because our good deeds outweigh our bad or because we never meant nobody, no harm, but because the Lord graciously delivers us from judgment for all that we've ever done wrong by the mercy extended to us at the cross. In our time of dying, we can die easy, even though it's not easy to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. Because the example of love that we look up to is also the means for transforming us and carrying us through our own little death in this life we are forgiven by virtue of his cross and we're free he begins to write his new covenant on our hearts he makes a new covenant with us and transforms us from the inside out by the power of his holy spirit god miraculously causes us to obey to not deny ourselves despite ourselves and this is his work and not ours So, in our time of dying, it just might help us to listen to Jimmy Page's soulful guitar sing our pain and our sorrow and our grief. But we know that God is somehow, miraculously, making something out of nothing, making something new, even out of us. Well, well, well. Oh, my Jesus. Amen.